0: Hey, this is Kathy. Just wanted you to know that this episode includes an act of suicide. It's not graphic, but it's part of the story. The story of an immigrant achieving the American dream is something we've all grown up with. But what happens when you wake up and realize the dream doesn't include you? In 1915, a businessman named Veishno Das Daspagai arrived in San Francisco along with his wife and children. They were from Peshawar, which today is a city in Pakistan. But back then, Peshawar was part of India, and India was a colony of the British Empire. His granddaughter, Rani Bagai, has become a kind of historian, not just for her family, but for the American history reflected in her family's journey.
1: A uh, newspaper reporter happened to meet them and said, wow, here's an Indian family, as they came off the ship, literally. You know, no one had ever seen a woman with a nose ring <laughs> before, uh, and very few Indian families. It was quite the thing. So their photo and story was kind of splashed across the
0: headlines of the newspaper. Back then, South Asian immigrants made up less than 1% of 1% of the country. And this wasn't an accident. Most newspaper headlines weren't so kind. The first person Vishnu spoke with in America was an immigration officer who had the power to accept him, deport him, or detain him indefinitely. The officer interrogated Vishnu, asking him to prove that his family wouldn't be a burden on the country. So as Ronnie tells it, he told the officer,
1: I came to America because of your freedoms. I came to America because there is opportunity here, and I want to use that opportunity to educate my family. I want to start up a business. And to show you I can do that, I brought all these funds with me in gold, and when he said that, the immigration officer's attitude immediately turned from being very stern to being very different, and his
0: response was, welcome to America. This is Self-Evident, where we challenge the narratives about where we're from, where we belong, and where we're going by telling Asian America's stories. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. And today we have two stories, 100 years apart, showing how the American dream sometimes misses the thing we need most. Our first story follows an Indian American who found himself tragically stripped of everything he worked to
1: achieve. He said, I did everything right. I did everything you asked of me
0: and more. And yet you you deny me. And our second story takes us to one of America's most Asian cities today, as it's confronted with a decision about who belongs in their town.
2: It just seemed crazy that they were going to put the biggest homeless encampment in all of Orange County in the middle of the safest city in America.
0: But first, back to San Francisco and Vaishno Daspagai. Here's his granddaughter, Ronnie.
2: So
1: he considered himself to be just like every other hardworking American person, and... He thought America was really the place for him and his
0: family. Vishnu spoke fluent English, and he had a penchant for dressing to the nines in three-piece suits. So, while more and more Asian immigrants were being turned away at the border, Vishnu's wealth and education and charm helped him get naturalized. He used his citizenship
1: to have all the privileges and and things that we all take for granted, which is to go buy property, to go enter into business contracts.
0: So Vaishnu opened a store on Fillmore Street, and he started an import-export business. Then he bought a house in Berkeley, California. Being able to buy a house,
1: um, you know, I think made him feel established, made him feel like you know, literally, I'm a first-class citizen. Um, they moved out of their rented home, drove up to the house.
0: But when they arrived? As far as
1: I understand, the neighbors came out, locked the doors, or maybe had the locks changed on the doors of the house that they were going to buy, that they, they did buy, actually. It was already bought and paid for. And my grandmother was just shocked, of course, as you might imagine, taken aback. She said, well, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live in a place where people are like this. Like, what if they do something to our children? So she told Vaishno, uh, no, we, we've got to go.
0: The Bagais relocated to an apartment just above Vaishna's store. And for a while, things seemed to smooth out. But in 1922, the Supreme Court declared that Japanese people couldn't become citizens because they weren't white. In 1923, the court did the same thing to Indian Americans. And then they went after Asian Americans who were citizens already. There were about 65 or 70 other Indians, like my grandfather
1: Vaishno, who had been granted citizenship, who had, like he had, you know, bought property or started businesses. They were contacted and told their citizenship had been nullified. It was now avoided.
0: So now, Vishnu wasn't a citizen. And on top of that, other racist policies meant to stop immigrants from competing with white landowners made it impossible for him to keep his property. And if Vaishno tried to visit his family in India, he would never be allowed back into the States.
1: He felt trapped. And he became very embittered very depressed. What he decided to do was buy insurance policies and really kind of methodically figured out, all right, I do want to provide for my wife, my children, so I want to leave them comfortable. He gave my grandmother a pretext that he was going to San Jose on business. He went and checked into a rooming house. He paid a month's rent in advance. And then he that night, he sat down and wrote several goodbye letters. And one of the letters was actually addressed to the San Francisco newspaper. And it was kind of a speech that he wrote saying, I am taking this act, this symbolic act, of taking my own life in protest of what America has done to me. I tried to fit in. I did everything right. I did everything you asked of me and, and more. And yet, you deny me, you know, where can I go? What can I be? What is, what is left for me? He basically turned on the gas, and uh, he was found actually the next day, but it was, it was too
0: late. Today, Vaishnava's granddaughter, Rani, lives a really full life. Her grandmother, Kala, and her dad, Ram, got that insurance money stuck it out in California, and persevered as Americans. Despite the many struggles along the way, they found new neighbors who embraced them for who they were, and they eventually gained the rights that Vaishna was denied. I asked Ronnie what pushes her to share this story today, and she pointed out something that people don't always mention when they talk about making it in America.
1: The way I see the American dream is that you can come from anywhere, no matter what class, what ethnic group, what nationality, that you can be a member of American society and feel like a member and make your way, be able to make your way in it without being crushed. I think my grandfather's story kind of told me the importance of one's community, a feeling like you have a place in it.
0: So today, do we see that kind of community? And where do Asian Americans fit into it? We'll find out after the break. Did you know that every episode of Self Evident, including this one, is made with the help of people like you? Our nationwide community panel represents a diverse range of Asian American listeners. They help shape our show by sharing their perspectives and stories with us. They also give our team honest feedback on episodes as they're being made. Join us today at selfevidentshow.com slash participate. America looks a lot different today than it did in the 1920s, but we still face a lot of questions about who has access to the American dream, especially when it comes to where we live and who belongs there. One thing that has changed— is Asian Americans today might find themselves on both sides of the fence. To get into what we mean by that, I'm here with James Boo, one of our producers, and he's been reporting in Irvine, California. Hey, Kathy. Hey, James. So you're from this area in Irvine?
3: Well, Irvine's in South Orange County, and I grew up about half an hour away. Shout out to the Hot Topic at the Brea Mall, where I bought several overpriced punk rock t-shirts when I was 15. Of course.
0: Um, I'm sure they appreciate that. Um, But there's more to Orange County and Irvine than just shopping malls, right?
3: Well, Orange County is home to a lot of Asian Americans. And Irvine is one of the biggest cities in America with a large Asian population, hovering between 41 and 46 percent over the past few years.
0: I got to ask, what is it like to grow up in a place that's so Asian? (laughs) Because where I grew up in New Jersey, we didn't have that. I mean, I didn't know anyone else who was Taiwanese-American And when I was younger, my family would make trips into Manhattan just to get dim (laughs) sum and other food.
3: Okay, so not to disappoint you too much, but I didn't come up in one of the legendary Asian enclaves that you're probably thinking of. The Orange County towns that I knew, especially in the 80s, were still culturally white spaces. With lots of first-gen families like mine kind of tucked in there, working their way up the economic ladder and going after the resources that white flight had pulled away from cities and into the suburbs during the 60s and 70s. And my family would also make those special trips. Like, I remember my parents would drive us into San Gabriel Valley just to have Korean-Chinese food.
0: I see. So it took like a couple generations to really be able to see and touch and taste the cultural shift there. And the big jump in Asian-Americans living in Irvine, that's like a pretty recent thing too, right?
3: Yeah, especially over the past 20 years. So Irvine is what's called a master plan city. And it's very strictly designed to be like this collection of villages that's the perfect environment for raising a family. It's ranked by the FBI as the safest city for its size. A recent study named it the fiscally healthiest city in America. And the schools are great.
0: So I can see how that would be a really attractive place for immigrants and really anyone trying to get their kids a leg up.
3: You know, there's actually an imitation suburb in China called Sun City, which is basically Irvine like reimagined as an America town just north of Beijing.
0: Whoa. So, okay, so if you've got a house and a yard and great dim sum down the street then it's like you've really achieved the American dream without having to give up your cultural roots.
3: Yeah. And that's actually what a lot of Irvine residents felt was under threat when this fight broke out in March of 2018. The fight over where to move the homeless in Orange County is heating up.
1: Hundreds of Irvine residents are saying no to the neighbors the county is considering putting here as it works to handle a persistent homeless problem.
3: Orange County has been struggling to manage homelessness for years. So what happened here is the county board broke up these two shanty towns where upwards of 1,500 unsheltered homeless people were living just down the street from Disneyland. And all of a sudden, everyone had to answer this question they had been avoiding. Where do all these people belong?
1: But what started out this week as an idea to create three temporary shelters turned into a counter proposal to put all four hundred homeless people on this no land across Tennessee. the street from Great Park. No Tennessee. No
3: Tennessee. No I met Perissia's Donnie, who was a leader in Irvine's pushback against this proposal. She lives down the street from the Great Park, and she met me there to walk through it.
2: So we're just crossing the street and we're about to touch the hundred acres that they were going to put um, Four to 700 homeless people in a camp. Oh my gosh, there's a snake. Where? Right there. <laughs> Hi. I haven't seen a snake since I lived in Reno. But right here.
3: Parissa is a second-gen American with Persian, Japanese, and Native heritage. In some ways, she fits suburban stereotypes, you know, nice house, does yoga. In other ways, though, she defies those stereotypes completely. She's a single mother with a GED who runs her own contracting business and has lots of tattoos. But most of all, she centers everything she does around her kids.
2: This is a huge family recreational park in the middle of a bunch of residential neighborhoods. There's no running water. There's no power here. So they were just going to make a makeshift camp. In a city that is known for being very safe for families, that's why we pay the extra taxes that no other city pays. That's why we pay the premiums that no other city pays. It just seemed crazy that they were going to put the biggest homeless encampment in all of Orange County in the middle of the safest city in America.
3: So as you heard earlier, Parissa is not from Irvine. She told me she grew up in a much grittier neighborhood in Reno, Nevada, where she saw a lot of crime and drugs on the street, had friends who were in and out of jail, and didn't really feel like she had a future.
2: You know, my dad coming here from Iran, he actually came here from Spain. He was living there on asylum until he was accepted into America. And so my dad lived homeless, you know, on the streets of Spain while he awaited that, didn't know the language or anything. So he tried to really push to me that you don't need to be stuck in this type of life. You can get out of it. There is better. You just need to work hard to get out of it.
3: So Parissa left home and spent the next decade slowly building that better life in California, even starting her own family. But her partner was abusive to the point where she started to fear for her life. And once she decided to leave that relationship, she made it a goal to live in Irvine where she could give her daughter a better, more predictable life than the one she had.
2: With my daughter's dad, I mean, he had it all. He had a home. He had a business. He had, a you know, his truck fully loaded. He didn't come from that, but he built himself a great life. And within about a year and a half of us breaking up, he got addicted to drugs. And within six months, he had gone from sober to full-on homeless and addicted to meth. He abandoned his daughter to live on the streets and to do drugs. So... My immediate thought was, holy crap, they're going to put 400 people just like him right across the street from my home. Exactly what I was moving away from, exactly what I've been trying to protect my kids from, they were going to put 400 of them across the street from my home. And that terrified me. Not the best typer. (laughs) My daughter, I think, is better than me.
3: Carissa started a Facebook group called Irvine Tent City Protest. She figured like 20 people joined event about the news, but word spread quick.
2: My Facebook blew up with a bunch of requests from people to join the Facebook group. And I noticed they were all Asian. They were talking about it on WeChat. And I guess within minutes, there was like 500 people or a thousand people that were like, oh, my gosh. And by like two o'clock that night, I had about a thousand to two thousand members So we were going to have, you know, a meeting at one of the clubhouses with snacks and the city ended up calling us and told us, you guys have too much interest in this meeting. There's going to be too many people. The fire marshal will shut you down. We're willing to let you guys have it at the city hall.
1: The plan to place a homeless encampment on Orange County Great Park is nothing more than another dump job by the board of supervisors.
3: 62 tons of debris or more, 2,290
4: needles or more. I have never been at a point where I can be afraid of going out or I will let my children go out without any security or safety concerns. I chose to live here, buy a home here, raise our son here, because I thought, hey, this is going to be a
1: great place to have him running around, meet friends, grow up.
0: Okay, I have to ask, though, is there a single person in Irvine who was okay with this proposal?
3: No Irvine residents spoke for the proposal at this meeting, but three people spoke in support of homelessness assistance. And one person from the neighboring city of Tustin, a nonprofit organizer named Muhammad Ali, did testify in favor of their proposal.
5: A family died in a van with two small children because
3: they didn't have shelter. They died of carbon monoxide poisoning, apparently because it was cold and they left the heater running. These people are not sex offenders. They're people. They're people. And and you, and and if you are interested in hearing the truth, since I am the only one here trying to make my point,
5: I invite you to ask me these questions and challenge me on any of the factual or legal arguments that I'm presenting to you. Do you have any questions for me, City Council, about See? what is actually right, happening? Right, hang on, hang about on, what is actually on. happening Mr. in Ali, these two lawsuits? I will run the meeting. I think it's a fair request. Any questions of my co- from my colleagues?
3: Seeing none, your time has expired. Thank you, sir. At the next county meeting, Parisa and about 1,000 other Irvine residents showed up in 24 chartered buses that were paid for by We Irvine, a Chinese-American company that helps Chinese immigrants get settled and connected in Irvine neighborhoods. So they staged this huge protest outside the county building and flooded the chambers to testify.
0: Wow, how did that go down?
3: The County Board of Supervisors basically said, whoops, my bad, and they took it all back and they apologized. Parisa won. All the people who came up from Irvine were celebrating. But some of the news headlines they saw the next day were not what they expected.
0: Oh, right. What were some of those headlines?
3: Well, there was one from Next Shark saying, Asian Americans in Irvine draw outrage for protesting homeless shelters.
0: And then there was this, oh, that LA Times piece that said— Irvine's Asians win, but at a cost.
3: Yep. And you know who else remembers those headlines?
0: I was very,
2: very outraged by this. They made this from a, a community fighting an injustice that we didn't even know was going to be coming to us to... The Asians are finally now speaking up when, no, they're just being neighbors, you know. And the reason why this was so big was because there was people of all races involved in it. You know, it was it was not just Asians.
3: The chairman of the Board of Supervisors, who's also Asian-American, is also unhappy about this. His name is Andrew Doe, and I asked him how he'd write the headline.
5: Irvine opposes a homeless shelter. There should not be a a racial component to it. The protest against the homeless shelter was basically, no, no, was uniformly and universally opposed by all of Irvine, including the city council. And so to spin it only as an Asian issue is, I'm going to go there, it's racist.
0: I'll go there too. I mean, we see the same kind of pushback in towns all over the country, but like I've never seen a headline that says, Local white mob says no to homeless shelter. (laughs) And, you know, it seems like such a little thing, right? But singling out Asian-Americans who've, like, made a good life for themselves and now have the power to make these decisions, that feels unfair.
3: So to keep things in perspective, that article, which we'll link to in the show notes, went a lot deeper than the headline. There were Asian-Americans on all sides of this issue, and this protest really was unique in a couple of ways. First off, a lot of people showed up. More than you would expect for this kind of thing. And second, that thing about We Irvine, the company oh, the that the
0: company that organized buses for protesters?
3: Yeah. Well, that kind of thing hasn't really happened at any other shelter protests in Southern California either. And this did happen against an ongoing rise in Chinese and Taiwanese immigration into Orange County.
0: Which does underline the point for me, which is it's really important to dig deeper than just the identity of being Asian.
3: Yeah, so Chairman Andrew Doe, who made this proposal, didn't want his identity to be lumped in with the quote-unquote Asians of Irvine because he had a different story. He came here as a refugee from war in Vietnam. There are political
5: immigrants like myself fleeing communism who came here empty handed, having to restart our lives and depended on the, the assistance of uh, the new society here in America. We have to have a system of care and the system of care requires that everyone contributes a little bit to that solution. And some cities right now just feel, you know, they have their head in the sand and they don't they don't, they don't have a homeless problem. The danger is when we choose to self-select on where we live and then exclude certain demographics that we find less desirable.
0: Huh, certain demographics that we find less desirable. Okay, I want to get into that, but first, let's take a break. Hey, we want to hear from you and keep this conversation going. Do you have a story about feeling excluded, from the American dream? Where or when in your life have you felt like you most belonged and why? Email your story to community at show.com or share it with us on social media at selfevidentshow with the hashtag we are self-evident. So we just heard from Andrew Doe, chairman of the board of supervisors saying,
5: I'm, I'm going to go there. It's racist, 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 racist. Hey,
0: that's not the <laughs> clip I was thinking of. <laughs> hey. I could do on. this
5: all day. All
0: right. But play the other thing too.
5: The danger is when we exclude a certain demographics that we find less desirable.
0: When I hear this, it's like I think we've entered a bigger conversation uh, about who we find desirable for our
3: community. Yeah, you know, at first I thought it was gathering different Asian American perspectives about this protest, but that fight turned out to be full of red herrings.
0: Yeah, so starting with race, whether you agree with the proposal, the identity that was pushed hardest in this protest, it wasn't being Asian American. It was being a suburban homeowner.
3: And then there was the proposal itself, which once I looked into it, it was really a last ditch effort without any real details on how the shelter might be run. And that lack of information made it really easy for this conversation to be driven by fear.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So once we set aside those two things, the race factor, the flawed proposal, I think what we have left is homelessness and stigmas about homeless people. I can hear a lot of similarity in how these folks are being lumped together and rejected. I mean, it's not that far away from how Asian Americans and other people of color are treated.
3: Yeah, I mean, we can't undo all those stigmas but we can't appreciate the experience of of being shut out. And we can take a closer look at homelessness from a different kind of immigrant perspective.
4: Most people who are born in this country don't understand the narrative of somebody coming here with nothing but a dream. I always say, I don't even know how I found myself in America. It was by the grace of God. I didn't even have a dollar to my name, but I had hope and zeal to go to school.
3: That's Lydia Natolo, a public health worker who's originally from Uganda. And at the same time, Parisa's fight over emergency shelter was blowing up at Irvine City Hall. Lydia was organizing for more affordable housing at the University of California in Irvine. And just like Parisa's story, this fight was part of a long road to building a better life.
4: So I came to live in California, to live with a, with a dear friend. But as life has it, she told me to, to leave her house um, and go find my own space. For a minute, I thought she was joking. But then I realized every day, every hour, every day she came back from work, she asked me whether um, I found a place to go. And I realized she was serious about it.
3: But Lydia didn't have any credit. So nobody would give her a lease, even though she had a job.
4: I packed all my belongings, which were just two suitcases with my clothes and shoes and books. I didn't have any family member to drive to. Um <sighs> And I think the reality of parking your car on a street or at a shopping center and uh, literally watching other people's lights go out in the buildings where they're sleeping, you know, Um, locking my car and just closing my eyes and praying to God that I wake up safe. No human being should live like that.
3: She lived like that for three months. And during that time, she never told anyone what she was going through.
4: Imagine you're in Uganda and your daughter calls you that she's sleeping on the street. Imagine that. So I didn't want my mother's heart to be broken. Because also there's a narrative people think America, their riches on the street to just grab money off the trees. People don't understand that actually people in America suffer
3: too. Lydia moved to Irvine to enroll at UC Irvine which was rated by the New York Times as the number one U.S. university doing the most for the American dream. Like about half of UCI's graduates are the first in their family to attend college. So Lydia was overjoyed to be living in this community where everyone around her was on the path to something better. Then she heard that one of her classmates was living out of his car.
4: Many administrators do not want to talk about how there are homeless students on college campuses because we have to to keep this perfect face, right?
3: As student body president, Lydia helped found UCI's Housing Security Commission, which just released a study showing that around 8% of UCI students have been homeless or slept on couches or stayed in abusive relationships to avoid becoming homeless. And around one-third of students have had more than one friend at a time sleeping in their living room or their garage. The students following in Lydia's footsteps are now taking their case to city council to show the full spectrum of homelessness in Irvine.
4: When somebody says in Irvine there are no homeless people, they are definitely just getting into their cars and going into their beautiful offices and getting into their homes and getting into the garage and closing out the reality They live in a lie. It's a pretense to think we don't have homeless people in Arvide because we do. It is a painful reality to know that there is an America. (laughs) That is what it is.
0: It's kind of crazy that Lydia basically had to start a movement just so the suffering she went through could be counted as real. I mean, there's research about homelessness, right? Just like there's research showing that immigration doesn't cause crime to explode and in both situations we still have this uphill battle just to have a reasonable conversation about what's true.
3: Oh, for sure. You know, as I was digging through the studies for this story, my parents saw a different local news story about homelessness in LA Koreatown and they asked me if I knew what the solution was. Did
0: they? <laughs> what did you say?
3: I Okay. I said the solution is giving people homes.
0: Uh Ta-da! <laughs> Is that it? <laughs>
3: yeah, that was easy, right? But seriously, here's the thing. Most people who experience homelessness, they're people like you and me who are just on the brink, like middle class, working class, and just one missed paycheck or one emergency room trip.
0: Mm, or one bad breakup or family tragedy or one bad decision. Yeah, just
3: just one unexpected step away from losing their home. So the leading cause of homelessness in Orange County isn't drug addiction. It's not mental illness. It's just people can't earn enough to pay the rising cost of having a place to live. So the research supports a housing first approach, which basically means if you keep people in an affordable home, it's a lot easier and cheaper to help them get on the right track and solve the big picture problem of homelessness. Right.
0: Okay, so as opposed to making housing like this reward that you only get after you win at life. <laughs>
3: yeah, right, right. Uh, but when I said this to my parents, my dad immediately said, that's not fair.
0: Hmm, yeah.
3: What about all the other people in that neighborhood who paid for their houses? You know, Why does this guy get a free house? And like two minutes later, we're having this hypothetical ideological argument where he's telling me this is not a socialist country. and. You know, this is a pretty typical response. I tried to explain the research, but that's not what people want to talk about. People want to have this moral conversation about whether you earned what you have. And we put so much effort into protecting that ideal of meritocracy, of self-made success.
0: And... I can see how it's tempting, even for me as a child of an immigrant, to embrace that dream of making it in America.
3: Yeah, in some ways, you know, the people with the biggest stake in that narrative are us. Are
0: us. That's right. The the product of this American dream of our parents.
3: Yeah, the people who really did come from socialist countries, the ones who really did defy the odds, and they really want to keep that hope alive.
0: That's true. But also, we don't all share the same journey as Asian Americans or as immigrants. So... Maybe it's just time to stop romanticizing this particular piece of the American dream.
3: Or the perfect, successful America town where hardworking Asian Americans are always winning. But at
0: a cost, right? Oh, no.
3: (laughs) Oh, no.
0: Getting back to Irvine, James, you started looking into this whole thing a year ago. And what's up with Irvine today?
3: The city of Irvine hasn't done anything to build new emergency shelters. And along with four other cities in Orange County, they're actually being sued over this issue. But Parissa, the woman who helped lead those protests, is out there pitching her own proposal. She's talking with a nonprofit called the OC Rescue Mission about collaborating on a new shelter in Irvine for families, women, veterans, uh, and their pets, too.
2: I'm hoping that because it is not near homes, it is not near schools, it is not going to negatively impact the community.
3: And she's unapologetic about keeping the Great Park exactly the way it is and keeping anything unknown away from her kids.
2: Which is why I've been very active in trying to find a different spot, you know, within Irvine that is acceptable to the residents, that is acceptable to, you know, everyone in the com- well, majority of everyone, because obviously not everyone's going to be happy with it.
3: Today, a lot of cities in Orange County are building emergency shelters for the first time. And there is a lot more to this crisis than just these shelters. But it's an important place to start talking about who belongs where and what we're willing to do in our own backyards.
2: You know, the homeless families and things like that, it it, it ate at me. So I tried to kind of turn a blind eye to it because I wanted to just focus on my family. But I did not see it balloon into what it has in the last five years. And that's because I kind of isolated myself in Orange County and in Irvine these last, you know, several years. I feel bad that I kind of turned a blind eye to it, but now it's like, I would like to see this happen so that way we can say, look, we have done it, we do care, we are not these heartless people that have we've been made out in the media to be. I'm hoping that we can get this resolved for Irvine.
0: Sometimes an American dream shattered is a wake-up call. Every person we met in this story was working to make their American dream a reality. But most of all, they were looking for a place where others could share their dream with them. Because whether we show up with a suitcase full of cash or nothing but a dream, we all want to make our way as part of a community. And once we're there, we all have to decide who else can be a part of it. Next time on Self Evident, we'll ask, in the year 2019, what does the term Asian American even mean?
2: I think for most people, they associate Asian American with East Asians only. And as a Pakistani American, I obviously don't fit that category.
4: I generally do identify with the term Asian American, but I just prefer to be more specific and
3: use Cambodian American whenever possible. I tend to get more granular when I'm talking to someone who is also uh, Asian American
0: To find out we'll share stories from our listener community and chat with a researcher who's been investigating this label we sometimes take for granted This episode was produced by James Boo and me, Kathy Irway We were edited by Cheryl Duvall and mixed by Timothy Lu Lee
3: With reporting by Anthony Kim Production support from Eilish O'Neill Kat Lee and Mona Ye and editorial support from Davy Kim and Alex Laughlin Our theme music is by Doreen Love Special shout out to Anne Saini and Jill Replogle for their guidance and support in the making of this episode.
0: And a very special thank you to associate producer Kathy M., Stefan Manchevsky, and the 1004 Crowdfund backers whose support made the season possible. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you thought about this episode on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Self Evident Show.
3: You can also email your thoughts to community at selfevidentshow.com.
0: Self Evident is a new show. Help us get the word out by recommending this episode to your friends, family members, and coworkers. You can also support us by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, or wherever you're listening.
3: And don't forget to check out the show notes for links to the records and stories that Ronnie Begai has shared from her family history, along with all of our research on facts, myths, and solutions regarding homelessness.
0: Thanks to our amazing advisors and all the members of our community panel who gave us feedback on this episode before it aired. If you want to be a part of our storytelling process, or if you want sneak peeks and behind the scenes content, sign up for a newsletter at selfevidentshow.com. Self Evident is a Studio to Be production. Our show is incubated at the Made in New York Media Center by IFP. This season is presented by the Center for Asian American Media, with support from the Ford Foundation and you, our listeners. Our show is managed by James Boo and Talisa Chang. Our senior producer is Julia Shu. Our executive producer is Ken Akeda. Our audience team is Blair Matsura, Joyce M. Punishat, Justine Lee, and Kira Wisniewski. I'm Kathy Irway. Let's talk soon. Until then, keep on sharing Asian America stories.